We're aware of it. Oh! Yeah, you dirty son of a whore. Witty banter. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's great. That gets everyone going. Okay. Hi. Welcome. Fuck you, man. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Hobby Night in Canada. As far as I know, it's episode 13 this time, which. Oh, Skaven. We should talk about Skaven the entire time. No. Ah, <laughs> oh, damn it. Okay. Another <laughs> uh, shot. Yep. I'm your host, Tom, and with me as always are. Mike. Dan. This messed me up. We're totally in the wrong order, but I'm Ward. <laughs> and I'm Steve. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what have you guys been working on the last little while? Dan, you, you tell us what you've been working on. I moved. <laughs> I packed up millions of cubic feet of Warhammer, it seemed, and packed it on boxes and went up and down stairs for about four days straight. So. I was uh, very much of the opinion <laughs> that you should open up a gaming store. Because you had quite a bit of unopened. No, box. a Space Marine store. A Space Marine boutique. I also have a pretty significant chunk of an Empire and uh, Undead Army still sealed in boxes. So, you know. Oh, there's some foreshadowing tomb there. Kings? Uh, actually, both. Because con- con- I'm converting a lot of my Tomb King stuff from the new Vampire Count skeletons. So, I just bought two of everything. So, anyways, we'll talk about that in a moment. <laughs> so, basically, you moved. Yes, I moved. Okay, that's a good hobby. Ward! <laughs> I got out my airbrush and I sprayed some stuff, but I didn't finish anything. <laughs> <laughs> Leave it to so Ward to not finish. What, what did you spray? What was like like your cat or like what did you actually spray? <laughs> you had to tell me what you worked on. You had to take, you had to dominate stuff. the cat. <laughs> I, I worked on I worked on some more um, jacks for my Kador. Nice. I also you'll be happy. Marines, I, Marines. I worked on some bases for my Marines. Oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> Are you kidding me? He's halfway to almost having a model thought about. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, you're excited. Don't I you? was so excited you were gonna be like, yeah, I laid down the base code on my Imperial fists, like something we've been dreaming about for ten years. Uh, I did on some backpacks though. Holy fuck! It's actually been ten years. No, it hasn't. Yeah, it yeah, has. yeah. For yes, real. it has. For real. Ten no, years. for real. I've only known Kyra. I've been. No, you've been talking Ward, about your fists. Ward. For ten years, you were working on your imperial fists at Truman's old house. On no, no, like no, those weren't, those weren't imperial. Yeah, fists. Yeah, they were. No, they weren't. Yeah, they were. No, they weren't. You were you, talking. You had all the Mark Eight collars. Or wait, no, your your those Praetorians, were my Praetorians had those collars too. Those were my Praetorians. No, this was pro, This was post Praetorian. No. You're like, I'm done with this no. purple shit, and I'm going on to the yellow. <laughs> That's literally as far from purple <laughs> as you can get. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, Mike, what about you? I painted up some jacks. I painted up uh, some of my um, Covenant of Antarctica. And Ooh. I'm halfway through painting up some uh, ba- ba- uh, some more um, of the rat. Yeah. Sorry. The mage hunters. There you go. Nice. Oh, gotcha. Rat. The yeah, rat. I thought, yeah. I thought he rat. was, was totally like, going to go after Skaven. Rat. Yeah, I was, yeah, was going to say we're dovetailing back into no, 13 no, here. No, I did yeah. 140 of them. I, I just haven't got back to them. That's, can't that's like one, that's like yeah, one I regiment. Know. I know. Yeah, I know. That's we've we've all been there. We've all been there. You're like, oh, I painted 160 Skaven. I'm done. Oh, no. No, that, that's like 250 no, points. No, I need no, to keep going. I am done for a while still. Tom, what were you working on? Yes. No, honestly. Don't lie. Just say it. Uh, nothing. Um, 
Although, Aww. to be fair, wah, wah, wah. the last month has been like the craziest month I think I've had in a very long time. I so. heard you, you did brakes for a car, so I'll give you credit on that. I understand. I get that one totally. Uh, no, just dealing with like you know that real world stuff oh, that yeah, prevents yeah. you from yeah, yeah. you know playing with toys. Yeah. Um, although like, I, like moving a house, but not. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but I did get a handful of games in with it. Were really really good. So that's awesome. That's, that's practically out. relevant. Yeah, it's almost like I'm pretending to still care. <laughs> no, it's good. I had a lot of games of War Machine, which is a lot of fun. Nice, Steve. Uh, I painted a Blood Angel, and I'm pretty excited about it. Because it was a ton of fun, and I only have five more to paint, because that's my army. Well, you <laughs> no. still have to finish the knights. Yeah, the knights have to be finished, too. But the uh, the army, and I, you know what? I'm kind of thinking maybe I'll do four knights and an assassin. <laughs> and just dump the blood angels. <laughs> which, is, which assassin? Uh, Culexis. And then do uh, Gerantius, or whatever the hell the white dwarf special character knight is, because he's insane and awesome. So I'd have the formation of knights that get to re-roll their ion shield saves when they're within three inches of each other, and then the crazy special character knight and a Culexis. Moving on! (laughs) (laughs) So, the one thing that I'm a little bit excited about, because as much as I hate on GDEV from time to time, my first game ever was Fantasy. And I've always thought there's actually a lot more background lore to that game than people give it credit for. That is a divisive topic around this table, but continue on. I will, but, I will concede well, that there's a Then it's point. given credit for. I'm not going to yeah, say okay. more than 40k, but I'm going to say it's got a pretty cool background. Agreed. And Games Workshop is delving pretty deep into the background and bringing us in a gash. Yeah, they're digging up some old gems. Okay, and, okay. well you said that they're bringing out in a gash. Someone should like shout that because that model is insane. Gash! Holy crap, that model is actually nuts. Did you see the size comparison? Yeah, it's larger than your Wraith Knights. Yes, and is oddly, I think, $10 cheaper, so that's cool. Because <laughs> <laughs> Games Workshop. Yeah, who knows, whatever. <laughs> uh, but if you haven't seen the model, uh, I highly suggest you check out uh, GW's site, and I think it's the third picture they have up there where the size comparison, as well as the 360 spinners, because, oh my god, that might be the best model they've released ever. Disagree? I would go up pretty high on that. The thing I'm terrified of is not the model itself, but how the hell do you paint that model? Yeah, I know. The blending on that model with the cloak is just like, I, what? <laughs> some, of, some of those paintbrushes that I have where they're kind of like, the tip is curling off to one side. Oh, yeah. It'd be great for painting around corners to get at that. But anyway, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I don't know how you do that. Because with an airbrush, model. you're not going to be able to get all those areas. That's the thing. All those commission speed painters, are gonna, they're not going to be doing Nagash, I don't think. Well, if they are, they're not going to be up to the standard that you might expect normally. Because there's going to be some shadow. Use like eight pounds of masking tape per model. <laughs> we yep. should have a Nagash off. <laughs> that sounds really bad. Like or, sort of or conversely, we could all get into a brand new game system. For both the same price. Uh, <laughs> Probably cheaper. Yeah, yes, we could. Although apparently, that being said, there did have a battle report in the White Dwarf where it was Nagash against an army. Yeah, so, I was actually just going to hey, say, Nagash could, oh, really? be, Nagash could be one of the most points-efficient GW releases ever because he's, what, 1,000 points? Yeah. And he's 100 and how many dollars? 130. So when you're thinking about it, you're like, oh, of, I need to pick up One of five U.S. for like the three Americans probably that listen to us. Yeah. But yeah, he's he's almost like between depending on conversion rate, he's like six to ten points per dollar, which is crazy. Yeah, you could you could get him in like a few Tomb Kings or undead stuff, and you're good to go, like a kitted out vampire, and probably fine. Yeah, and especially where if you're if you're playing these Nagash games, you get fifty percent of your army in lords. Mm-hmm. So like you barely need an army to go with them. <laughs> yeah, which is, I'm kind of excited about that, because fantasy for the longest time was always like, oh, I want to play fantasy. Don't. It's too expensive. Like, you're thinking about playing Skaven? 
eBay a lot of starter set models because you, otherwise you're <laughs> going to be broke. Uh, well, and that 50% al- allocation for Lords really kind of, it almost harkens back to 5th Ed with like Hero Hammer. That's exactly what I was going to say. Hero yeah, Hammer, I love Hero Hammer. I'm okay with it if you don't have to paint so many fucking models. Well, that's the thing is here. Warhammer should be around like big blocks of infantry. It's it's cool, except no one cares about the clan rat in the fifth rank. Like, who gives a shit if he dies? Like, that's just not important. You still have to paint him, but you don't care. His family cares. <laughs> they don't. They're rats. <laughs> yeah, his brood mother cares. I'm sure. Uh, no, but like with with Nagash, you have four or five models. I think you could probably do an army of maybe. I would imagine. Because you can do... Well, uh, you still have to have a yeah, core. You still have to no, have a but core. can't you get... Isn't it Vargles or core or something like that? I might be making this up. I saw some rumors oh, where that was I, core. I can't remember the specific disposition of that gargantuan <laughs> hybrid undead list. Yeah, I was saying, so apparently there's a list where basically every undead unit is in the army, and I think there was some crazy core stuff going on in there where you could have like five models in an army. And on the topic of going back to fifth ed... That's exactly how it worked. Yep, exactly. You didn't have to deal with those giant bricks because ten more vampire counts versus tomb kings. Like that was back when. Oh you yeah, had that's right. You're right. Totally. That split that. happened. You know, just a couple editions ago. There was. Yeah, I forgot about that entirely. You know, there, yeah. even though in the fluff they do kind of hate each other. Like there were there were previous editions where there was one book. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. So this yeah. is definitely in terms of bringing back the model, but also bringing back the older uh, rule set. This is really harkening back to the older editions Wicked. of Undead. So yeah, they're digging good. deep. I'm going to be able to use my old uh, skeleton... Uh, uh, chariots? No, catapult that's sitting up on my shelf uh, there. Maybe I'll get to use one of chariots That's like again. this big. Uh, yeah, the they're about an inch one? tall. You know what I'm talking about? I'll probably be able to use those, I'm sure. Oh, Steve, I'll totally get you. I've got some of the really old undead catapults. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I have one up there. I've got like three at home. Oh, man, we have so many streamings called catapults. It'd be ridiculous. You guys could ally. But like, Oh, yeah, it is the same one. It's that the one that's... It's so, so small and shitty. <laughs> what the fuck does it do? Sorry. It's smaller than a rattling gun. I know. Like it, it would. I don't. Anyways, back to the gash. I'm excited about it. I give it five pucks out of five. If they have as many cool characters that they're talking about in this expansion book, like Neferata, Neferata, Ark of the Black, Ark in the Black, Ark in the Black. So yeah. your Chrom, I heard. So the answer to your question is yes. Uh, <laughs> I'm having a really hard time not being super excited. Like, you know how you're a 40k fanboy and every time they do something for 40k you get really excited about it? Yeah. They've kind of fucked up with fantasy where they just released things that no one wanted. Yeah, it's been stuck yeah. on the back burner for years and this oh, yeah, is totally. this is this really is grabbing legit. some attention. Like, I really don't care about Triumph and Treachery because frankly, if I want to play multiplayer games, we'll just do it anyways. And yep. This is cool. Yeah, I but agree. I, they have not released something this cool for fantasy since the Storm of Chaos. I just yeah. posted a picture of Nagash on our site, so. Nice. Yeah. So, for those of you listening, it's been up for a week. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, yeah, shut up. So, what do you give it? What do you give the release? Oh, man. Come on, Tom. Oh, fuck, it's got to be a five. Mike? I'm going to be four, but I'm not a, as big a fantasy buff as these guys are. So, yeah, four. Okay, it but still looks really good. After, after the show, I want to show you the old Nagash model. And <laughs> no, 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 I'm a little nervous about the price, but the models themselves look awesome. But you know the price. How can you be nervous about it? It's 130. 
I'm going to clarify why I'm giving it a four, Kay. actually. There's two things. <laughs> One, it looks like it is hell to transport, and yeah. it will snap with without any problems whatsoever. And two, like Dan was mentioning before, it looks like it'd be really hell to paint. Oh, sorry, we just talking about the model? I thought that's what we were talking about. I'm talking about the whole thing. The yeah, whole yeah. So for me, the yeah. whole that's thing is the five. Down for me, the is the Magash model, model, I think, is like a three. Really? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to give it easily a five. I think it's so cool. You want to know why it's a three? Hmm. In my mind. All of the bones are that same shitty bone sculpt they used on the Chaos Space Marine horns. Where oh, they, okay, now you're, you're, you're I know what you're so saying. So here's the I issue. Know what you're saying. It's textured. Yeah. But if you just, like, dry brush it, it looks like shit. Yeah. So yeah. it's quite possibly the single hardest thing to paint with, like, ha- trying to find the proper effort to results ratio, and he's fucking covered in it. Okay. Yeah, that's a good that's point. That was something I was thinking about earlier as well, was I don't know if this model is going to be easy to, pa- to paint for beginners, because A, everything in the way, like those spinny ghost things. It's but not also, a beginner model, and he's yeah. pit. But <laughs> also, on. like, the just the style of the armor with all those, like, super ribbed plates and all the other stuff, unless you're doing that crazy, like, non-metallic type stuff the studio did, it's gonna, this is going to be a very challenging model, I think, to paint. Between the... You know, the glowy OSL, the way the model's sculpted for, like, the large flat surfaces on the hat and everything. Unless you're... I don't know. This I think this is going to be a very tricky project for beginners. And that's, one, again, one of the reasons why I'm a little bit anxious about this release. Okay, then... And as, an, as a, like, a more advanced painter, I don't want to do it. Because I don't <laughs> think I'm going to possibly be able to get the result on it that I would be happy with. Without putting in, like, the next two months of my painting. Okay, now... Let, let, I'm excited about the model, and I can't wait to paint it. I, I disagree entirely. I think it's going to be a super cool challenge. I think it's going to be fun. I'm with Steve. I'm, I'm so, Ward, what are you going to give it? Uh, I, I'm going to give it a five uh, because, as uh, some of you may know, me and Dan have had a thing for the Tomb Kings and managed to convince quite a few people to buy Tomb Kings when we worked for GW. So there, there have been a few bone giant jokes about our love for Camry over the years. <laughs> <laughs> now, so Did are you going to get it mostly painted and then reprime it about eight times? That's my plan. Yeah, okay. abso- absolutely. I, I plan on like painting it fairly well and then end up not having eighty percent done. Bases and finished reprime and reprime. <laughs> <laughs> How many times did you do that with your Camry? At least twice. <laughs> So I think I'm the only one here that has a really poorly painted Camry army that I decided to get done for a tournament, like, the night before. So, um, I can actually legit play Nagash. See, I did... Uh, have an army to go with it. I have several hundred points of Camry painted, because it's, like, a Sphinx, and, like, several a Stalker, hundred. and a couple <laughs> characters. <laughs> They're over there! They're over there! I can add them to mine. Don't worry. I'll just, I'll just <laughs> annex them over here. Perfect. Okay. But I, I give Nagash five for yep. sure. I'm so oh yeah, that's what we were doing. I, we were giving him ratings. It's it's <laughs> gonna be actually one of the first things that I pick up for fantasy in quite a while. Yeah, I'm gonna pick one up for sure. Yeah. Put it together and then probably get scared and maybe not paint it. <laughs> I think it's gonna be challenging. I'm looking forward to that. But I'm gonna I send four to giants at him and just thump with club him. Okay, it's gonna be awesome. That's fine. That's not really, you know. Yeah, whatever. We'll talk about this later. <laughs> fantasy is not whatever. That's not why I'm buying this model. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so in honor of Nagash and his undeadiness, yep. we're going to continue our paint line review slash how-to series that we started off with the steel last time and go on to bronze and copper. One of, uh, I think, Dan's favorite colors to paint. Yeah, it is ridiculously easy to paint, and I love it. I don't know what else is there is to say, but uh, I'm sure we'll think of something. 
Okay, so why don't we start talking about <laughs> some of the paint ranges? Last time we talked about the old citadels. Let's maybe just current range. Let it go. <laughs> <laughs> Easier we said all, than done. We all wish bolt gun metal still existed. Although but that wouldn't help painting copper. Brazen brass. <laughs> brazen brass. Yeah, there's a decent analog. So I'll get things going. Sure. I hate the current Citadel um, silvers, but their range of bronzes aren't that bad. And I, they've actually got it set up where you will never have to mix one of those colors ever again. Yeah, they've actually got a lot more colors in that spectrum than they used to. I will certainly give them that. There's a lot more natural highlights in the range. You're not just like mixing... Yeah, you know, all this agreed. stuff every step of the way. So I've only ever painted bronze using Citadel old and new, and I so I'll talk about the new, and I think their bronzes are good, the current range, but there's actually one color we'll talk about in a second that I think is what makes their copper bronze work. So anybody else have another range? Because I have no idea for the other ranges. <laughs> Uh, the P3, I've used a little bit. Um, actually, one of the, I think the only P3 paint of mine that turned to complete goop was, um, it was basically their, you know, their mid-tone bra uh, brass color. I can't remember what it was called off the top of my head. But uh, interestingly enough, the very similar current Citadel color is the only Citadel color that I've had turned to complete goop. Oh. So apparently I just have terrible luck with that, like, mid-tone brass color. Oh, Okay. <laughs> Well, I'm going to give uh, P3 one bit of props here. They do have a color called Brass Balls, which is really yes, awesome. Yes, the name of it is amazing. <laughs> ah. And What uh, do you paint with it? Do you paint balls? If you want to. Okay, good. Good to know. Is that, is that one of their um, bronze colors that has a hint of green to it as well? No, Because blighted, blighted gold is very green. Yeah, that's blighted. Bra no, Brass Balls is... It's brass. It's pretty straight up. You okay. Could, you could paint some uh, Plague Sensor Bears with it. Ooh. That's good. Back to Skaven. Oh, there we are. Fucking 13 all over again. Um, but I the honestly think uh, this is one of those situations where, as someone that has used both the P3s and the current Citadels for this, I'd probably put them about on par as far as coverage and and consistency. Like, they, I don't, there's not as much of a discrepancy in this part of the range as there would be with the Silvers. Yeah, I think GW does a pretty good job. Uh, see, that's where I'm going to chime in. <laughs> you got to disagree. I, I find with... This incarnation of the GW medals in the bronze colors, I find quite a few of them separate really quickly, at least for me, and they dry up In the pot or on the palette, they're separating? In the pot. To yeah, be fair... Here's how you fix that. Shake remember no, no, how no, no, much no, no. Like, Ward paints. Go. <laughs> no, no. Even, okay, even, even... Yeah, you have to open ooh, it more than once a year. I bought I bought the like entire range, and then... Never used a, it. A few of them did dry out, but then when I rebought the paint, same thing happened. Like within like two weeks, easily. Uh, okay, you're doing something wrong. No, honestly, you gotta I think close it's... the lids when you're done with them because I've never oh, had that. No, issue. no, no. The same thing happened with Children, the golden come one. Come on. We talked about it, and I think it's because it's the new Citadel pots are such shit. It yeah, it could be. That. And the metallics, I think, are more prone than some of the other. Oh, colors. totally. They separate in the pot like crazy, but with mine, I've always just been able to go. Oh, it's separate and shake it. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. I've been able to do that, but there's one or two of the 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 coppery gold ones that just solidify and you can't mix it it won't remix for some reason for me it yeah, I think it dries out right I think it's my I think it's my Sycorax bronze yes I think that might be it. which that yes. is the one that is complete paste for me like I still use it a little bit because I really like the color but it is messed up it is it's almost more gummy than their uh, dry brush paints yep yeah it's, it, and it went from being a normal paint to that very quickly I mean the rest uh -huh. 
The rest of my Citadel brasses that I bought, like the Balthazar Gold and everything, were normal. That one went bad very quickly. It's a weird. It's a weird. So there might have just been a bad batch. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, but I, I think it's the pots are just so shitty. Yep. Okay. So one of the things I would say is I know Vallejo makes a ton of uh, um, air brass colors, but I would never airbrush brass, so I've never bought them. Yeah, interesting, interestingly enough, I, I definitely agree with that for the most part, because for me personally, um, a lot of the silver colors, I think, look really good with those smooth progressions. Like, yeah. it's just, because a lot of times you get that polished silver look. Good place would be converging but, to Cirrus to look at that kind of stuff. Yep, those, absolutely. Yeah, some cocks. Or yeah, like the, cocks. again, like the Grey Knights and stuff like that, yep. where you're getting those very smooth progressions. You're doing more of like the traditional paint, like shading, highlighting stuff. Whereas weathered, tarnished copper and bronze looks incredibly good and it uses a lot more of the simplistic techniques like the dry brushing and the washes like is a very so, accessible color to paint at all levels i want to come back to uh since we're gonna i guess pretty much all of us are gonna skip over the vallejo airs because why well just the vallejos in general um the nice thing about the airs is if you are brushing them on um or at least the palettes your, work really well or like doing your base coats via airbrush or something like that yeah, yeah it okay, works really well see. and then the vallejos do have the analogs to the old citadels and again, they're not quite as good as the old Citadels, but they're still a worthwhile paint. So I'm not going to deter anyone from using the Vallejo Metallics. No, they're certainly not. they're wrong with a completely legit paint. So I, I feel if I was going to rate all these paint ranges, I'd probably put them all between a three and a four. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, and I don't really think any one of them stands that much above No, but above that's because metallics are such ones. a hard paint to produce because you have to have metallic flakes and a suspension. Like, it's just not an easy thing to deal with. So I think you're going to be in that three to four range the whole way through. How about the rest of you guys? Yeah, pretty much. Like, um, if there's one very specific color that you like more than a different range or whatever, obviously you might pick a favorite. But at the end of the day, you just pick which one is the the tone you like, and they're all very and similar. And available quality. near you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, they're oh, they're very close. They're very much on par with each other. I think at the current moment. Yeah, and maybe that's what's going to push Vallejo and P3 to the four and Citadel down to the three for me is that Vallejo and the P3 are that much cheaper. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, but moving on to the GW, the one that I think would bring my uh, GW bronze paint sort of range up to a five or a solid four would be Nilic Oxide. Yeah, the washes, in my opinion, are what make bronze and copper as a technique. Yeah. It's really so important to have the weathering there. If anybody knows uh, or is aware of what Nilic Oxide is, you're probably wondering why the hell would you put a sort of turquoisey fluorescent greeny color onto bronze but you should always do it <laughs> well okay not always. always i always do it but i can see the argument for every once in okay. a while not doing it dan you do it the best i think of all of us explain how you do it this would be i, don't know if I, I guess would say that, but because uh, dom does a lot of bronze as well we do it very similar and a lot of the times i think he gets a little bit more consistency out of his washes than i do okay tom you're looking pretty upset so you go but with yeah. that no, fuck you, man. Go ahead. Man. <laughs> okay, no, no, no. <laughs> I, I see Dan's stuff more often, so I'm sorry. I apologize. But I want to see it. I see his junk more often. What can I say? Well, <laughs> And your cock's on display right now. Uh, I'm like, how's it going? Good. Hey, Lord, yeah. <laughs> sorry, I was too busy being bitter. What's the question? How do you paint your uh, tarnished bronze? Okay, well, I think I'd like to maybe take this a step back. Yeah, I think starting second. with the, the base coats and working out, because the washes for me are very much the final stages of copper. Oh, really? So we should, okay. we yeah. should lay so out the foundations. Let's go first. kind of, um, what's the very basic kind of bronze that you would paint? Because what we did with the metallics, for those of you that weren't here last time, me, <laughs> is that we, uh, we broke it down into what the beginner would do, what the intermediate paint style would be, and what a more advanced technique would be. 
And there's, in my opinion, there's very little separating those with coppers, which is why it's one of my favorite uh, colors to paint. I oh, yeah, find, it takes like, zero time. Yeah, the techniques are very simple. And um, so I think realistically, the place to start is, um, unlike some cases where you want to start with the mid-tone and start washing down, with the coppers, you can really just you know, dry brush your way up from the base colors like the, um, something along the lines of a Warplock bronze. Yeah, yeah that's the one. Something that's like the that. Like the, yeah, the very dark tin bits, coppery kind of colors. And then do a dry brush of your Balthazar gold or brazen brass analogs, those type of things. And then with those new Citadel colors like Sycorax and Rune Lord bronze, mm-hmm. um, or brass, I can never remember which one's called bronze and brass, but they're very, they're kind of like between um, the, the mid-tone color mixed with a bit of the bright silver. Yeah, Sycorax is the one that I really like. And they have, they do have, and the Hashit Copper, I think, is another one that's a good highlight uh, color. It's, again... It's got more red in it, though. Yeah, they've got three or four different slight variations on that highlight color for bronze. And realistically, you just pick the one you like the best, give it a quick two or three stage dry brush from darkest to the lightest, and then you can start attacking with your washes. Yeah, and I think yeah. the, the the sort of introductory uh, beginner level would just be take those three colors and dry put one on his base coat, heavy dry brush in the mid, and light dry brush at the top. Well, because there's Done. so little to differentiate between like basic and intermediate and advanced, yep. you could almost just say a legit-looking bronze is probably going to be just the Warplock bronze with Balthazar, Balthazar Gold. Is uh, yeah. like if we're talking like just Full super beginner. basic, yeah, for sure. Full blown beginner, yeah, that would, get you, be that would get you to a perfectly acceptable tabletop standard in a very short amount of time. So, I can see this going as a pretty simple painting guide because I can see intermediate being add the Sycorax, or if you want to go with more of like a dwarf bronze kind of color, whatever, as Dan was Hashet. saying, season to flavor. Yeah, there's those colors all exist right now in the current range, they're all slight variations on the same theme. You just pick the slight variation that works best for your army's color palette. Do you want it cooler? Do you want it warmer? Yeah, some are a little bit more red, some are a little bit more brown, that sort of a thing, but I think where you start getting into the advanced techniques is really where you're getting into the washes and the verdigris effect. So for myself, um, I find that when you're doing a lot of the dry brushing up to the Rune Lord Brass Sycorax Bronze and stuff like that, it does tend to dull um, the intensity of the color a little bit. And so a wash of like, uh, for me, I use a mix of the sepia and purple washes from GW mixed with water and um, to, just to thin it down a little bit so it doesn't become like purple, <laughs> just a little bit, a um, little bit of a wash everywhere brings a lot of that color intensity back. And then, and then you can work, get into um, doing some of that, you know, like the, the color of like the Statue of Liberty, right? Like that really, really cool oxidized um, yeah. copper look, which you can achieve by you know, washing in with some of those turquoise, uh, scaly green type colors. So the way that yeah. I do the verdigris now is because you picked up, uh, I'm looking at Ward when I say you, you picked me up a secret weapon wash, I think. Storm which cloud. Was Storm cloud. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a darker verdigris, which I usually wash with a bit of, bit of thinner across the entirety of the surface. Yep. Mm-hmm. But then the way that it, I think looks really, really nice is sort of the more um, areas you want a little brighter, that's where you use the Nile oxide. And that's, I think, what makes that effect look incredible yeah in a very interesting way you're almost because a lot of the um oxidization of coppers like from obviously the water and humidity so places where the water pools is where you're going to get this brighter vibrant green so in some ways you're almost like highlighting with a wash you're you're mimicking what nature would do like yeah yeah, it's it's, gonna get brighter in the recess it's very different from your typical painting but it, it looks really cool to do those two or three stages of washes same as the dry brushing it's really simple technique done in two or three stages makes for some really interesting color progression Yeah, you're always just going lighter on the way through yeah simple as that and the one thing that i really like to do um the colors that i'll use is scaly green and i'll use I, i use the vallejo one which i think is scaly green 
<laughs> Hard to trademark some generic terms like that. Um, and then the one color that I really like for the stage two is actually Trollhide Base. Yes. Because it... It, it the scaly the green is really, really vibrant of, of a color, whereas the Trollhide base is just a really natural, neutral teal. And it really bridges the gap between those um, richer, more vibrant colors, like your scaly green, your Sotek green, whichever, again, whichever one uh, you have available. It does bridge the gap between that and your Nihilac Oxide, which mm -hmm. is a very bright color. And just doing one, you know, from one extreme to the other is a bit of a jump, where if you do, again, the three subtle, you get very or sorry, the three-step or whatever, you get very subtle variations, very smooth effects. And yeah. It is so, just, again, it's a really, really good return on investment. You're doing very simple techniques and getting very cool results quite quickly. Now, the only thing that I would say is that I actually rarely ever use the Nylic Oxide as a wash. I'm almost more carefully painting it into the cracks where I want it mm -hmm. yeah. because I found with that paint, it's really weird because if you water it down too much, you lose the effect that it has like tech, as far as like from a texture standpoint, because it's got this kind of bit of extra grain in it, which a lot of those technical paints do, which really helps with the, making it look weathered instead of just painted. Yeah, and so, a lot of the technical so, paints are designed to be used more or less straight out of the pot, like adding a lot of your yeah, your mediums, I your would, retarders, and I that would, sort of uh, stuff. They're not really made for that. I would disagree a little bit, because I use quite a bit of thinner with nylon oxide. I use airbrush thinner. Uh, and it just seems to break that surface tension and pull it into the crevices much easier. Sorry, the I issue agree with you, though. is that I don't want it to, because if it is going to be weathering, it's not just going to be pooling in the recesses. You want it to be a little bit on some of the more surface areas as that oxidization okay. is expanding out. Depends on how much you're going with. I think like if you're painting an Imperial uh, Eagle, uh, like on a on a Space Marine shoulder pad or something like that, or the front of a bike or whatever. Yeah, like you, you can just dab a little bit in the cracks and you're yeah, fine. That's what you want to do. If yeah. you're going for like it's been on the bottom of the ocean for ten years, look. And I did paint a galleon. Yeah. Okay. You're right. You want it to, <laughs> you want it to pool on the the recesses. Like that's you're right. But I I don't paint that way. I usually tend to keep my uh, bronze a little more less weathered. And interestingly enough, one of the techniques that uh, shoot, what's the name of um. GW does a lot of intro videos for the new hobby products, and um, is it Duncan Rhodes or something? Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, I think he does the YouTube videos, and I think one of the techniques he actually advocates is if you do a heavier wash of the Nihilic Oxide, you can actually, like, wipe it off with your finger, and that it really smooths it out and makes for those, like, really subtle bits left behind on the raised area. Interesting. And preserves the pooling in the shadows, so you do get... Mm -hmm. a little bit more I mean that is again for a fairly old crusty looking like you know Bioshock palette sort of a thing but you can you can finger paint and still get good results and I that's why that. I love copper thanks Duncan Rhodes you've saved a, <laughs> you've saved an argument here at Hobby Night in Canada between me and Tom well, it's, just the same. it's just a different <laughs> application really yeah I don't I don't paint uh, stuff usually as weathered as as a lot of your mercs I think yeah you, you paint yeah. a lot of Eldar so no, they don't. Eldar and <laughs> Space Marines they're a little yeah. bit more shiny the only people that I've actually are people. They're not people. Uh, they're my tomb kings that I've. <laughs> they used to be people. They used to be people. Now they're corpses. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I think that was actually one of the intentions as well. Is um, we were we were going to say that um, this technique does lend itself very well to a lot of the vampire counts and Camry color schemes. Not only because it's dead easy to paint, which is what you want when you're batch painting 100 skeletons. Zing, zing. But uh, dead easy. I didn't even notice. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, Inadvertent um, pun. The best kind of pun. Yeah, the other thing about it as well is Kemri. Like, if you take him back to the Egyptian, you know, they're the fantasy Egyptian analog. That's like Bronze Age technology, right? They're supposed so to be bronze is, and gold. Yeah, and so they gold. shouldn't have, like, ferrous metals and steel and all the other stuff. They should have a lot of bronze, copper, 
heavily corroded um, weapons. And, and that's the thing that's so really perfect. cool about it too is when you paint the bronze that's like, or not the bronze, the uh, the gold that's really uh, crisp and clean, it doesn't corrode. So you get that yeah. effect, that contrast with the bronze yeah, yeah. that is corroded. That looks so good. Yeah, uh, doing a lot of corroded bronze with um, like gold edging or details is a really simple, really excellent paint scheme for doing Camry. It is very fast and you get some really striking results because if you have like a warmer gold with like some of the reddish brown purple washes like subtly mixed yeah. in there and then the like um the verdigree copper which is getting in towards like the blue green end of the spectrum yeah. it's so similar but subtly different it's a great combo um the neck what is he the the sphinx not the necro sphinx the, yeah the necro sphinx yeah. uh the one that i painted he's like a black kind of like a black stone obsidian type of a thing with, might with two tones Sure, with <laughs> with like a two tone uh, copper and gold edging for a lot of the mm -hmm. armor on it. It is dead simple. Again, again, not even now that it's been in my mind, I'll probably make terrible puns repeatedly. But um, no, it's it's very simple and it's it's a striking color combination which you can get very quickly, which is what you want for a horde army like undead. So now that we've talked about uh, our way of doing it, does anybody have any other ideas if you didn't want bronze to be so uh, old and crappy? You just leave out the washes yeah. and yeah. maybe do a few more highlights going up to a mithril. Yeah, if you stick to a lot of the um, the bronze colors, like where a lot of the brass colors in the different ranges are like the duller browns, whereas the bronze ones have a bit more of that orangey-red palette to them. So if you stick to those a little bit more, then you can get kind of the cleaner and go a little bit easier on the washes. You can get that cleaner, fresher bronze. Maybe not as much purple wash, more sepia. Yeah, I'd probably still it. do both. I still think a little well, a bit goes a long way, a tiny but bit, yeah. Uh, yeah, you can definitely tone it down a little bit on the purple, because if you're not going that heavily into the blue cool spectrum, uh, then you don't need nearly as much of the purple. Cool. Um, I guess the only other thing is that I have seen it done occasionally, where if you want to go that extremely like Statue of Liberty-esque oxidized, you can actually use like a your base coat of the of a dark bronze color and then do the chipping medium and then actually go straight teal over top of that and take that back so you actually it's almost entirely the oxidized look that's really hard to do yeah I've, I'm, i haven't seen too many done in that way so i can't really speak to that technique but it would be an option it's an option i don't know it's if i'd go a good that way. option because at the end of the day dry brushing and washes and getting like a really high-end result it's hard to argue with that yeah so when you're talking about how the Statue of Liberty looks, are you talking about like the Parliament buildings? Like yeah, the roof. Yeah. yeah. Should we should we refer like? Yeah, we should talk about Canadiana. Subs substitute all Statue of Liberty references <laughs> with the Parliament buildings. Yeah, yeah I'm mad tower. at Harper right now, though. I don't want to do this. <laughs> okay, well that's a, that's, a, that's a completely different show. When are we not mad at Stephen Harper? Um, when he gets kicked out of office in a year. <laughs> All right, so for everybody outside of Canada, that was some political commentary from Tom. Um, now, let's talk about, would you ever, in your right mind, paint non-metallic bronze? Uh, no, because it's leather. Yeah. It is, it is definitely tough, because if you're do doing the verdigris stuff, it is a lot harder to get into, like, again, a lot of the keys to doing non-metallic metal is to go almost all the way to black and for sure all the way up to white. And if you're doing that much of a color progression and washing in all these teals and greens and verdigris colors. It is very tricky, and you're right. It does look just like really over-highlighted bronze or leather a lot of the time. It is a very tricky one to pull off. 
Yeah, I generally don't like non-metallic metals, and I think bronze is probably the worst idea yeah. you could have. Non-metallic is difficult <laughs> enough as it is without getting into oxidation and all the other things. So Yeah, that would be it. And just the fact awesome. that you don't have the same characteristic reflection to go off of, because it doesn't reflect in the same dynamic way that gold and silver will. Yeah. It's much duller, naturally. So you can't really do that extreme progression that you would otherwise want. Yeah, like, right. again, I've, I've seen it done, can't really recommend it. It makes a difficult technique all the harder. Yeah. Um, the only other thing I'd maybe say is that if you wanted to, you could wet brush instead of dry brush for the highlights on it. Because Why? That would um, be my argument. Is yes, you can, but the results you get from, a, from dry brushing bronze I is actually, so good. I like wet brushing because it gives you a little bit more of that pure lighter tone in certain spots. All right. Um, and then when you are going back and doing like the three l- stages of washing, you get a little bit more, I don't know, It you can be pretty sloppy with the wet brush and kind of hide it all in there and have like but a really... sloppy non-metallic does not go no, together. No, 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 no. This is going back to the regular stuff. Okay, okay, good. Because yeah, I was like, what the hell are we talking about? Okay. I thought we it just said that yeah. non-metallic bronze is a waste of time. Yeah, don't ever do, do that. Okay. Yeah, we're talking about like wet brushing the, the highlights yeah, on. I clearly like missed a my gear point, change here. My point is your effort spent doing a wet brush for that versus end product. It's, meaning, it's marginal. Marginal. So I think this... That All you're doing thing, is wiping slightly less paint off your brush. I think at that point in time, you, like if you're painting for a crystal brush or whatever the golden demon is called now. Well, then you might be feathering at that point. You, you might, that's maybe when I would think about that. Otherwise, I can't see a reason you would ever really want to... Well, it just much. just to have... I don't know. I think it's, <laughs> it's nice. I know what you're saying. I know what you're and saying. And it's, it's... I'm just saying it's an option and it's not really any more work. So it, if you want it to be a slightly lighter bronze than a slightly darker bronze. All right. Because it's really no more work as a guy that's done both. We it's, might have to right. separate yeah, these two. Agree to disagree. You should probably just like physically put up a little barrier or something so they don't have to look at each other. I want to see a fight. Don't stop that. Well, you can't see a fight over the microphone, though. So it's well, kind of completely wasted. You can hear some great Batman sound effects. Biff Sock Pal. There we go. Uh, <laughs> right. should, we, should we move on? Yeah, I, I don't so. know I if there's we anything else. We... one to death. Yeah. It's undead. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so anyone that's been paying attention to Games Workshop lately will notice... Things have changed. Yeah. Yeah. They, they've gone from releasing a codex every two or three months to spamming the living crap out of everything. I think we, if we count Codex Assassins and, or whatever it is, uh, Data Slate Assassins, whatever, whatever. it is, uh, that's three in a month, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah these the Space Wolves, None Grey Knights, fantasy. and all the rest of it. Like it's they're coming fast and furious, and not in a good way. Like those terrible movies, Steve's likes. Oh yeah, those are good movies. <laughs> uh, but it's I just think even so, is all it is. Like if you. Count in a gash, I think that's four weeks from Space Wolves. So that will put one a week. Like which, a relatively major release a week. Yeah, I mean, the Assassin's the only one that isn't a major release, but I'd still put that pretty high up there because, I mean... In terms of the gameplay, yeah. yes. In terms of models, because it's old models with new rules. But, yeah, but so. I mean, there's such a huge part of it. Anyways, point point is, even if you count it as three in a, in a month, it's crazy. It's absolutely insane. So uh, one of the things that uh, you have to sort of financials aside is this affects the player quite a bit and i don't know if tom you want to give your opinion on the financial side first before we go into the effect on the player uh okay i'll get this little <laughs> rant out of the way first and i know you've been dying and, too, so. and dan and i were talking about this earlier and it i'll lead why don't we lead with your quote you're saying like the one thing to watch out for 
uh, there were some of those like business savvy folks that do the breakdown of the annuals, you know, quarterly statements and revenue yeah. forecasts and that sort of a thing. Yeah. One of the things that we're always saying to watch out for is any radical departures in GW's release schedule or behavior is kind of a signal that, you know, they're realizing something isn't working and they're, you know, you know, doing a significant change to the strategy. It's usually a sign that things are really not going the way they want them to. But, um, yeah, so... And, yeah, and I agree with you guys on that front. Like, the profits were down. They weren't in the red, so... No, they're not losing not, money. Nothing's on they're fire not yet. not making but as much money. But they didn't make as much money. Exactly. And their shareholders obviously are not happy because their stock price is not going in a positive direction. Yeah, exactly. Moment, but, but I will say, I think, if you're going to release rules, and some of them are going to be digital rules, uh, that's not the best moneymaker. Printing books no, is expensive, dude. and iTunes iStore takes a, cu a cut of that. Like, I think... And because Grey Knights didn't have any models with them, and Assassins didn't have any models with them, and I mean, even Space Wolves didn't have a huge number. They had the Storm Wolf. So here's the thing: if you well, maybe are... the Storm Wolf and the Santa Sled. Oh, they did have Logan Grimnar, which I, I can't <laughs> imagine is going to sell well with a model like that. But anyways, so here's the thing: a lot of the releases have been more rule heavy, and if they are doing digital books, all of a sudden, you're right. iTunes takes a cut, thirty percent off the top. 70% That's goes a huge to the hit, especially with them being sure. cheaper in the first place. But, but they is don't that have to any different than them selling them? Indie uh, retailers materials. take that cut as well. Like, That's true. You know, the direct services or whatever, they're they're making a similar margin. I can, the only reason and that I think... there's no physical... Like, there's, there's production cost behind it, but there's no actual cost of, like, this is what I'm paying to have this physical thing go to you, and then you're giving me money in return. Yeah, no, the only thing that I'm trying to say is, I agree with you guys, it's clearly something is going on with management over there, and they're trying to figure out a way to make more money. I just don't think the sky is falling rapid. Oh, no, we're not saying the, the sky is plan. falling. Like, we're just it's just saying they're making a relatively rapid change. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to agree with Steve on this one, too, because... I, all those people that we we know we know somebody that is always like, hey, did you see the new stock report? Like, uh, GW's this that and the other thing, right? And it's just like, do you own stocks? Like, do you do you really care? Yeah. Like, <laughs> Why? Why it's does like, it matter? Oh, I don't own any. And it's like then the, then it doesn't affect you. And yeah. interestingly, assuming <laughs> assuming I like your plan. assuming that is the logic behind the change in the release schedules, I think this is one of one of the first like tangible effects on a gamer. Yeah. That may have been caused by the financial side. I mean. Aside from, I guess, if you go back to when they were first publicly traded, that's where they got the cash injection to rapidly start doing all this advanced plastics. You know. Okay, so anyways, besides the financials, whether whether you think GW is going to go out of business tomorrow or not. Uh, no, okay. I know, before, I know you don't know. So let me just I'm say this. hyperbolic. Come before on. Before you entirely misrepresent everything I was trying to say. <laughs> we're saying that they have to make changes to their current model, or they will not be successful as they have been in the past. Yeah, and I agree with that. And they've made changes to their model. And it's not a hypothetical. They it's have happened. lost a customer base, and that is probably one of the reasons No, and I, okay, just so you're aware, I was being hyperbolic and being ridiculous, but the thing is, to the effect on the gamer is, some people, well, a lot of people are clamoring for, you need to have more releases. And now the sentiment that I hear the most of is there are too many releases. Well, Holy crap, I can't keep up. As a gamer, let's say I was hypothetically playing this game called 40K. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Continue <laughs> on. It would be really hard to keep up with all the rules. Um, especially if you're playing in a competitive setting. If they're releasing a lot of these small release, and especially when there are a lot of limited run books where you don't have access to them all the time or for a permanent time frame. Mm -hmm. it's, like you really got to keep up on that because stuff can start getting thrown at you left, right, and center that you aren't necessarily capable of dealing with. 
Yes, and so, I, I think that is one of the problems with the GW's uh, rules or business plan, effectively, for rules releases. You can't have uh, somebody that hops into the hobby and goes, oh, where do I get uh, the Bellicor supplement? It might be gone. Like, you know, you want to get that model and suddenly you can't use it. Or, for example, like, uh, I was talking about the knight earlier, the special character that I want to use. That was a white dwarf only release. I got to find that white dwarf somewhere to use him. Hopefully, now I'm gonna just. <laughs> I didn't buy the white dwarf, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna give Games trouble. Workshop a little bit of a benefit of the doubt here, and because they do have the digital, just hope it's store, a data slate for like five yeah. bucks. Hopefully, they'll do data slates for all this stuff. But even if they do, all of a sudden it's reaching a point where you're not having to buy a new codex. If you're the guy that wants to know every rule that's available, three years ago you just had to buy a codex every two months, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And three or four years ago, that was but like. But also, people weren't using Forge Wheel World and Forge Wheeled. Yeah. Forge World and tournaments. Sure. And so, so it was just the Codex every few months, and it was about a forty dollars investment. Yep. Right. Yep. Whereas now, if you're getting two or three a month, even if you can get the digital downloads, yeah. Well, I saw it starts an orc, stacking. I saw an Orc Army list that uh, I can't remember all the names for the different supplements, but it had uh, the main Orc Codex. The supplement that came in the, or the formations that came in that box, like the special... Um, yeah, there were a couple of supplements in there, uh, Sanctus Reach. Sanctus Reach, thank you, that yep. one. And yep. then it had the Orc-specific supplement. And then the also Gazgul had supplement. Yeah. The Gazgul supplement. And then it had the Space Wolves supplement, because there's an Orc formation in it. Or Are you fucking like kidding me? <laughs> like, it was some crazy list that had, like, four or five books. Like, you're talking $200 worth of rules not including the main and, rule book. Like, that is just for the army. And my issue, not not necessarily as a gamer, like a gamer, you have the option of, like, do you want to add all those? Mm-hmm. As a tournament organizer, yeah. if I yeah. have X number of players coming in, they're all using three, let's say, three books. Oh, my God, I didn't even thought of that. We were talking about this. So what are you going to do about that? I, I'm, I'm going to buy a gun. <laughs> <laughs> if you buy and, a, and what are you going to do with the gun, Ward? And we'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> Hobby Night in Canada does not endorse firearm use. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, we were going to talk about this entirely from a gamer standpoint, but I never thought about the TO. Holy crap, I, that's I, terrifying. I, I, ju- I just posted about that too, where I said, like, on the on, on on the onslaught Facebook page, where it's just like, yeah, I don't really feel like going through five different books, so there, unbound lists will not be used for sure. So. But the funny thing is, that's it's not, not even unbound. unbound. This is straight yeah, up like... I know, I know. That's, those five books were uh, a combined arms detachment, a formation uh, in the combined arms attachment, and then... Several additional and then entries an allies. into that. Yeah, and, and then God, an allies. And God forbid you use a Forge World or a Data Slate unit. Oh my God. Yeah, I mean, it's just crazy. So, interestingly enough, like if you go back to like 3rd and 4th edition where there were like uh, constant chapter approved articles... And you had your stack of white doors yeah, to play used the to, game. You used to have to bring your army book, your in a lot of cases your twenty dollar add on book, plus your white dwarf issues, plus your okay. FAQs. Like it's so in a weird say, way, it's coming full circle. Let's no, I think it's worse though, because let's say you were playing that game in the game in third edition, you had to have a white dwarf subscription, and at most you were gonna see four because they never released uh, in December a codex, you were gonna see probably four or five forty K codices. So you're gonna have your hundred and that's some odd dollars. Because they used to do Yeah. They, they used to push fantasy more back then too. Oh totally. So let's say you had four in a year at hundred and sixty dollars plus your white dwarf subscription at what Oh was hell no, back then the codex would have been twenty eight dollars. Yeah, so let's say you have okay, a hundred dollars worth of codices and a hundred dollars worth of white dwarf. That's still less than the rules you have for one or And it would have been seventy bucks for white dwarf at that point, but yeah. yeah. But like the, it's crazy. The bottom line is it's for anybody that wants to do competitive play at all, it's becoming financially 
unstable for them to actually keep up with all their that, enemies or anything. Okay, you need a degree in like library is. sciences to be able to like yeah. keep track of all your decimal system is at I agree with now. you, but there's I'm gonna make we've been talking about cons and all the, the no, 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 we're just saying this, this right yeah. now, this is how it affects. And us. I totally agree with you. The one thing that I was I'm gonna bring up is I think the rules are the best they've been in a long time with these current releases. Like Grey Knights, awesome release. They lost a little bit of flavor. That was good. Space Wolves, great release. I mean, they had one stupid, mo- two stupid models. The Murder Fang was real dumb, uh, as well as the sled. But all in all, that, that sled codex is awesome. I think Shut that sled face. is going to sell like hotcakes in December. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, it looks Thunder like Wolves with a big red nose. It doesn't look like, like a ho ho hold the payments thing for it. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, it doesn't look like a long ship, like a Viking long ship. It looks like the escape raft that came off a long ship. That was always my thing. Anyways. Uh, but I think that was a really good release. I mean, they've been, and they've just been knocking it out of the park. And they are cool. You're getting more character back into the game. I still want fucking Iron Warriors, but... I think it's coming. I think it's coming for sure. No, dude, it's never gonna come. No, I'm not... I wouldn't be totally shocked if you saw the next Chaos Space Marine yeah. book. One of the rumors for an upcoming Chaos Space Marine Codex would be for them to take a page out of the Horus Heresy chapter tactics and do proper Legion rules for now, the Chaos Marines. Total Devil's Advocate. Total rumor. That rumor has been in place for eight years. But now Forge World also has the added benefit of having proven how popular the Horus Heresy stuff is. Right. That rumor's been in place for eight years. No, the, <laughs> I, I do think this is way more credible because the last Codex was the final Chaos. This is total tangent. Sorry, yeah, this is really... But the final, really let me just finish my point. That's final. The last Codex uh, Chaos had the Champions of Chaos where you had to challenge, and it broke the entire book. And I think the collective outrage was so ridiculous that not only did you have no flavor, it was stupid to play. That I, hey, Maybe you'll listen. I think combine that with the Horus Heresy. Anyways, point is, GW rule set... Amazing GW financial model for the gamer. Really bad. Yeah, and it's, it's bringing a lot more <laughs> diversity back into the game. Um, I think probably, right now, the biggest comparison to make to GW is probably Privateer Press. Yeah, they're the biggest they, one. They, I know X-Wing sold more units, but less people cared about it. Uh, <laughs> so no, I'm, I'm kidding. It's, it's a great game. Sorry, I just like to put the, the kind of thing in there, but... If you look, like to put the thing just, in there, just to put it in, just yeah, wiggle right, it around a just, little. Just, 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 just wait, <laughs> are we talking about undead still? <laughs> what? Oh Under wow! Okay, but Privateer Press, I would say in North America, as far as a game that you see competitively played at a lot of the cons, is probably the next biggest one. Okay, but the way that you get your rules out of Privateer Press, if anybody doesn't know, you buy the unit, you get your rules, and it's even cooler than that. Okay. So War Machine and Hordes, which are their two collectively separate games that also work together, get one new expansion book every year. That expansion book contains all of the rules for the new units that you're going to see for that game that year. And they sell for soft cover for about 40 bucks. So if you're buying the War Machine and the Hordes ones, you know all the rules for all the new models, it's $80 a year. I'm going to say this. Their rules are great. Their books are stupid and terrible. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Are you? Yeah, no, totally. Compared to a GW, like, beautifully laid out, nice book, my Convergence of Cirrus book has, like, a little story at the front and some kind of confusing uh, army-wide special rules and then a tier list that tells you nothing what a tier list actually okay, does. Okay, so here's the thing. And then unit entries. Right. And that's it. Because that is the <laughs> army book. The fluff that's a advances in yeah. all of these other expansion books that comes out every year. 
I agree. And those it, and these it, are not the books, or the, these are the books I'm talking about, not that army book. No, I hear you. And the converge, but that's what happens when I went to buy as a new player, as a gamer getting into a war machine. I went and picked up that book that had my rules, quote unquote. But it didn't have that same feel of if I picked up like a, the Space Marine Codex. Yes, it's more expensive. It's incredible in comparison. That's my point. I would like to put it out there that Privateer Press was doing full color books. Like six oh, years totally. before GW was. Before yeah. it was cool. There, I, sir. Oh, I will fuck give, off. <laughs> <laughs> fuck off, quaffed hair man. <laughs> no, I will I will totally give uh, Privateer Press that they, I think, were the reason that GW had to step up their game. But I'm just saying, in the current, comparing the book to each other, I like the GW stuff more. But the Privateer Press rule system of delivery is much better for the player. For Way the, better for a tournament player. For the, for the gamer, I like the fact that it's all released uh, together in a bundle. Uh, cost effective, I think it is for both systems. You said what, eighty bucks? Yeah, because you can get a soft cover or a hard cover. The soft cover go for anywhere between thirty and forty, and yeah. the hard cover is like about fifty bucks. Yeah. So if you wanted to go gung ho, you could spend a hundred dollars a year on rules. Cost effectiveness, awesome. The only downside that I would see is that people are a little bit sometimes over eager. They're like, hey, I have the rules. There's no model. Uh, I'm gonna use this. Anyway. Yeah, that's that's a very different approach compared to the GW, where they're not really coming out with rules for things that don't have a model kit they can sell, because that's how you know those third parties were knocking them off and coming out with models before GW did the official ones. Yeah. So they don't really do that anymore. I mean, they come out with they come out with rules for something that already exists in the ring. Before you before you get to your point, Tom, the the difference though that I find is that GW lets you like scratch build models. They encourage uh, conversion. And they encourage that. Yeah. Whereas Privateer Press says that it has to be like pretty much the model that's released. Now I'm gonna because they don't the, care the about the main reason I'm gonna disagree models. with you is that by and large, when Privateer Press releases a book, it's the last thing that comes out. So they'll release yeah. most of the models that are in the book with all the rules, and then kind of towards the end of that wave, there might be one or two models that come out after the book's been released. But by that point, the rules have been through their magazines and everything. And so you're not like, I okay. got this book now, now I have no model to play with. Because so, you get the model first. My, my, <laughs> my, my direct argument against that, I got, I got something that, to though, say here, too. That, I got, oh, man, I got, the, I got a lot the, to say. The Kator Growler, the, the new like jack that's supposed to be coming out, yeah. uh, people are like wanting, wanting to play Oh, yeah, there's always right? a couple, but and oh, yeah, by and large. Yeah, no, and, I, and I'm just, I'm just, throwing, I'm the devil's advocate. Yeah. I'm throwing that out there. Yeah. So, speaking of game systems that don't really care about their models or how they look, and painting's optional, let's talk about X-Wing. <laughs> I'd say that's an attack wing Yeah, comment. that's... <laughs> no, dude, that was an attack wing comment. Uh, but their, their rule systems are very similar between X-Wing and attack wing. Uh, they have... <laughs> the basic mechanics. Yeah, no, but I mean the way they deliver. Again, we're talking about delivery of rules and that kind of thing. You get the card with the model that you buy. Same way as War Machine, where you get the card with the unit that you bought. Mm -hmm. uh, now... The one thing about Fantasy Flight that's kind of interesting is they seem to put all their rules online. Like, you can get pictures of the cards ahead of time. Um, Attack Wing does a lot of the same things. Where yeah. through StarTrek.com, they preview the ships. Where a lot of times there's, similar to X-Wing, there's one or two things. Like, you don't always get the maneuver dial. You don't always get the firing arcs. Um, there's usually a little bit of information held back. But, like, you get 90% of it spoiled in advance. Which is what but I It's love. actually very similar. The the one thing that I like about the X-Wing models, instead of having one article per ship, because their release rate is slower, 
Yeah. So they kind of have this little but trickler they're models, rules. and they are they have to make new ones. They aren't the yep. old hero clicks ones. Yeah, they're not just putting new cards yeah. in with old bathtub plastic. But um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like they're like, the X Wing stuff. They actually they will take an expansion pack, and they will a lot of the times have like a tactics article and be like, "Here's a new card from this expansion. Here's." The current reigning world champion and how he says you can use this card to affect the meta. That's and that, cool. I didn't even know that. It that. is a really cool way for them to do multiple announcements for the same ship in those couple of months leading up to the release. And lots cool. of people can really relate to it too. It's just like, hey, this is a gamer like me. This is how he would use it. I should maybe listen to that. Well, it's the kind of thing that I like. Is not everybody's going to buy every ship out there unless you're Dan. Uh, a lot of the action players do. Actually, most yeah. of them do. Most of yeah. them do. Actually, I, I so also have to say. What I was going to say is, like, Dan for buys myself, four. For myself, I would I would probably <laughs> not buy all the ships that come out, but I would probably have the majority. But the ones that I don't have, I have a really good idea of how they work. Yes, absolutely. which coming back, that information it, is very readily available. Comparing it, and that's the same thing with Privateer Press when they release their supplements. If you buy the supplement book, you probably have a pretty good idea of how everything works. Kind of keeping up on things, but with coming back to GW, you don't. Because you're not gonna, they don't preview those rules unless you're reading blog sites. And even then, and you're getting not, a flavor. You're not because yeah. you can't reprint yeah. them, and you never really know if it's gonna be remotely accurate or not. Yeah, totally. Because yeah. the thing about GW rules is they're so ambiguous sometimes. Yeah, but I mean that's it's, there's a lot of rule yeah. systems that are like that either way. Just, but yeah. like it's, I agree. And there's just so many different ways that you have to, with Games Workshop, to access those rules. It's just so hard to keep on top. Okay, so anyways, we've made it back to Games yeah. Workshop. We still got to keep going with other systems. Yeah, absolutely. And there is, stuff there is something I want to say is that they do Attack Wing and X Wing both do good with the releases on what's coming out, so you know what's happening. But Fantasy Flight is notoriously bad for getting them out on time, and that can piss off a gamer. So as and that's true. how that, that that will affect how a gamer responds to it. I'm not saying that I've been deterred, but there's times like, oh yeah, it's coming out. It's like, what? It's back a month. Oh, then yeah. it's back. Rebel Aces is so bad. Three months. And Imperial you're like, I don't care anymore. Yeah. And so that's how it affects. Imperial the Aces was yeah, the okay, one where enough. we knew everything that was in that set because the ships were pre-existing. It was just new cards, new upgrades, that sort of a thing. Yeah. So you had all the information to play and a red with stripe. that set. It was a red yes, stripe. The, the all important red stripe. Yeah. But, it's kind uh, of a big deal. It goes faster. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so you had all the information. You could play with all this stuff, but you couldn't use it in a tournament. A lot of stories you couldn't use it in. And because that was one of the releases that was pushed back for like three, three months, three months, three months, months, trying to get it out by Christmas, and it was like well into the spring. So by that time, they'd announced like two or three waves of releases before the one that you already knew the rules for actually really? physically yeah. came out. So there is definitely that danger where they spoil stuff sometimes too far in advance that, you know, the the shiny, you know, new model syndrome can wear off before they're even on the shelves. And to bring it just a little bit back to Private Press, that maybe would be the one of the downsides is that sometimes they do that yeah, as well. I think they, that's kind of what Ward was bit... getting at where you're so eager for something for so long and then by the time it does come out, it's kind of like old it might have been a little bit. Yeah, we can be honest, so a little late's not bad, but we, once you start going past the two-month bracket, you're just, you're it's spoiling it for everybody at this yeah. point. Yeah, right? so the next Price thing... is good for maintaining their release schedule. They're just maybe not coming out as soon as you wanted. So the one other thing that uh, we should probably mention real quick is Attack Wing. They have so many uh, league events and, and uh, rules that come out with that. That is a lot of the, the Games Workshop style thing where if you're not going to those events, getting those rules, like compared to, you're not getting the White Dwarf rules, you're not going yeah. to these events and getting the like DS9 rules or whatever you need. Yeah, the, the participation prizes yeah. and the, the prize ships. You're behind. And everything. Yeah. And that's, that can be that's tough honestly what on. turned me off of that game. Like I really tried to give it a the good old college try, but it just... 
when you have to go to every event to get everything and key, and have that knowledge because I like having the knowledge yeah. of the whole game. I hear you. And at least even with the G Dub stuff, you can you probably have the get option, an Jada Slate. You can on. you can give them money to get it. Yeah. And well, you if have you want that knowledge option. of the game, you could just watch Terry's videos on YouTube. Where she previews all the cards and everything before the ships are out there. But yeah, it's it's not it's still not quite the same, right? Like no. if you don't have everything. Uh, yeah, fair enough. So <laughs> okay, so we so what it comes down to, I think, for the gamers, like if you're if you're looking at X Wing, uh, based on the release schedule and the fact that a lot of stuff gets delayed, I would basically gobble stuff up as soon as yep. it becomes available. So and that's you what know people that are doing. Want, Pre-ordering is key. Pre- yeah. Pre-order if you can. Pre-order if not. But like, even the pre-orders aren't. Always oh, great Become because they don't do it. Yeah, but if said company, Fantasy Flight, doesn't make enough of the units, they don't get out. So or they, the stores don't get as many. So as they then make. buy your local shopkeep a beer. <laughs> <laughs> but my Paul, point is, you know so bribery. If, yeah, if it comes down to that. you can't buy beer, there's a problem. Yes. Me and Mike got to talk no. about some of the stuff that we really like. Uh, you've got Spartan written down there, Tom, but we also want to talk about real quick about Hawk War Games. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, because their, oh, yeah. their rule system and the way they do their releases is, in my opinion, I think the best. Oh, because yeah. they basically release the rules for free. When a new unit comes out, you just go to their website and you get the rules. Because they are experimental rules and they're experimental specifically for the purposes of playtesting. He wants to know how the unit rules, performs, yeah. and then it will come out in an expansion, which they just released the first expansion, very yep. much like Privateer oh, Press. Cool. But the, the rules were never finalized until that expansion. They were out for like a year. Yeah. Like the Ferrum was, I think, out for exactly a oh, year. Oh, yeah, it actually was, yeah. Yeah, so do you have any other thoughts on Dropzone? Oh, I, I, I just really like it. I, you know that stuff is coming out ahead of time. Like, there's uh, been a lot of talk about the Resistance, and that actually... It's been about took, a year now. Yeah, it's been a while. So Admittedly, that, one, that was a full faction. That yeah, wasn't was just a unit. That was true. Full, full faction. faction. And, but I think they started talking about it maybe a little too soon, because, yeah. God, I'd be dying to get a hold of these Honestly, I would probably have a Scourge on me painted by now, if I hadn't known for the last year <laughs> that I would be getting something I wanted to play more. But the Fair way enough. they're releasing models and the way they release the rules for the models is really good. It does. It's not killing you. You just got to buy the model. That's never a problem in my opinion. And the and rules are right there for it. A lot of companies are doing that. And just I think we can briefly talk about Weird at the same time mm-hmm. because they're also a company where when they transitioned over from first edition to second edition, they put everything out for open beta, and they've done it in, in three waves. There was wave one, which the book was released last year. Wave two, the book was just released at Gen Con this year. And the avatar rules for all these specific avatars are coming out later. And it's open beta, it's all free to access, and then once that's done, it's just like Private Press, they've got the book, has all the rules for that wave in it, or you can also buy an Arsenal deck, which has the rules for your faction, they're like $8 for the deck. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you wanted to get one for every faction, you're looking at, well, it's one wave a year, there's six factions, seven, yep. so it's about 50 bucks a year, right? So... Yeah, I know what you're saying. That's there. for all the info, though. Yeah, that's for yeah. all the info. Yeah. yeah, and so they're kind of doing a very. A but you said approach. they have they have the rules with the unit that you buy. Yes. So one of the things that Spartan has moved away from is putting the rules in with the unit that you buy. Moving on to Spartan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hang on, hang on. Sorry to go to go back to both Weird and Hawk. <laughs> yeah. Rewind. Play, player. Um, the it's player super benefit easy. for it. It's easy to get into. You can download. Um, cost effective again you, yep. how much are you spending a year a book yeah. right? at most oh, right. fuck. The, I'd probably say 
the only game that would be cheaper for rules than Malifaux would be Infinity, because for Infinity, they're all 100% free. For Weird, it's you buy your models, rules come in there, and you can buy a full rule book for $15. Right, exactly. So you're spending you're spending probably, let's say, 30 bucks a year for complete updates, and you can even download the rules. So again, and for players, what? I think it's really reasonable. Oh yeah, absolutely. But the devil's advocate part of Weird is, is they don't make enough fast enough. Oh, you! I don't. Even, let's just okay. not even get me started. But it is, is worse than my player, chaos rant. So they're 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 the Games Workshop third edition, forty k. Uh, they are the not producing it. Their problem right now is that they tried to transition their entire range over to plastic, at the same time as doing an entire new rule set, at the same time as doing two or three board games, and a role playing game which took some of the production assets from. Uh, like, because they do a bunch of miniatures for that game as well. Yeah, there's only so and, much studio time and and they're uh, a small company. Capital. Yeah, no, no, it's not. I'm not saying it's horrible. I'm saying it is a downside because it's hard to get their. Yeah, shit. they're a gotcha. small company that's still trying to kind of make their way. Okay, but okay. Spartan, Spartan. So they used to include those little cards. Yeah. Uh, now they don't, and their rule book is not cheap-ish. No, their rule book's super cheap. Which, how much was the one that you bought, Mike? The big hardcover was 60 Canadian. It was, That's yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Yes. it was 30 pounds. Yes. Yeah, the Commodore edition, whatever they called it, was You're pretty reasonable. It was 60 oh, bucks shipped like to bucks. our door. No. Yes. And the regular yeah, rulebook yeah, is something like 30 or 40. Shipping. Holy crap. That's, I thought it was like 100 bucks. No, oh. and that's for like the full leather bound that, with the... It was I'm great. Like, and then all of the rules for your models are free online. Yes. Yes. Although at first it did weird me out because I got the I got the soft cover starter set rulebook and I like flipped through it and I'm like... Where the hell are the rules for my ships? I don't know what I'm building. <laughs> so yeah, I thought that was kind of weird because I didn't really realize at first you had to go download all the rules, and I got really confused. But the reason for that is they were, I think uh, as a company at an impasse, they were trying to figure out how to get the rules to the player because they were changing the system quite a bit. And at the end of the day, it's And they decided to go free. Yeah, because they were when you're changing editions like that, it is tricky where it's like, do you re-release everything that you, in your entire product range simultaneously? It, it is tricky to keep changing that. Every time you change the rules, you'd have to repack your miniatures. But the good that thing, starts going up quickly in terms yeah. of their development costs. The good thing and the reason why they do this, though, is they do change those PDFs. If they if they find that something is completely and totally broken, they have changed the PDFs. It's like the living rule book. Yeah. yeah. Although they do also release, and they did this for Firestorm. I'm expecting we'll see the same thing for Dystopian in the next six months. Uh, they did release hardcover books, one for each of the major factions, because yes. they, they divide... Um, everything basically down into you're on side A or side B, and all of the nations fall within those categories. The, Z- the Zenian League and, and the, the Alliance of Karak. Yeah, they had that book for Dystopian, which had all, or Firestorm, which had all of the rules. They're beautiful books. They've got more fluff. So if you want to spend the fifty bucks and get the book, if you're like that really tactile gamer, you still have access to it, but it's not mandatory. Yeah, I like that. I think that's a good way of doing things. I mean, that being said. This is a completely different point. That they're not publicly traded, so they have some leeway to deal with. None of these companies. Uh, sorry, I don't. Is I think Attackwing might be publicly. Tra- is WizKids publicly traded? No, no, couldn't oh, tell you. Well, maybe. Remember. Anyways, point is, and Games Workshop's probably the only publicly traded company here. Yeah, so there's a, there is that distinction to be made. Um, but I think we should talk about what is your favorite method of getting rules for a game system. There's actually one more that we can talk about really quickly. Oh, yeah, I forgot about entirely. The one that is so incredibly boomer bust, and everyone is jumping on board with this right now. Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. Yep. There are, between your... Oh, God, where are some of these games? Like Wrath of Kings and the Alien vs. Predator. Oh, yeah. The Robotech game. There's Zombicide. There are so many miniature games on Kickstarter. So how much do you like your Aliens vs. Predator miniatures? The ones that I paid for like a million years ago and might ship in October. 
Speaking of which, um, how about your Robotech <laughs> ones, Mike? Yeah, Robotech's a fun one. Uh, and Wrath yeah, of Kings was a year ago. I'm, now. I'm, it's almost I'm a year on late. My Wrath of Kings, actually. I opted out of that order because I'm like, fuck it, I won't see it forever. And I, so I, feel, I think I we see respect. a common theme here. <laughs> the biggest thing is don't expect to get your stuff when it says it's coming. Yeah, Kickstarter it's, games it's, look no. so cool. They're so but, incredibly ambitious, crap. but because they have that vibe of a startup, um, there is so many steps between you pledging and you getting something in the mail that... It, it can be pretty disheartening sometimes. Like, um, Let alone getting rules. Getting yeah. miniatures, you're not. Yeah, because there's if you're doing plastic production, like a lot of the time that is considered to be at least a year between the development, the prototyping, the tooling of the molds, the production, the packaging, the shipping from container ships in China yeah. um, over to wherever the distribution is and then getting out to all the backers. It is such a lengthy process. And for a lot of these startups that don't have all the stages of production really figured out yet, there are inevitably delays, there are problems, and it's in, it's a really cool tool for getting a lot of your stuff out there, getting the startup capital, absolutely, but it, it, it is one of those things where I'm, I'm ambivalent about Kickstarter because it gives all these opportunities for these young companies to start fresh and do really cool, ambitious things, but it's really only, in my opinion, a lot of the really developed companies that don't need Kickstarter. They're the ones that deliver the most efficiently. Yes. So I'm kind of torn philosophically on whether I like this whole thing, but I don't know. The Prodos stuff with AVP, it's decent compared to some of the other systems, but it's still a long product cycle, and a lot of them are very, I don't know, overly optimistic about their production schedules. Totally. Large, but honestly, to be honest, they are a new company, and they are trying to start, and that's something new. Yeah. They might not have an idea of what it's going to take. Like the, the Robotech one is literally almost two years late. And you're paying, you're paying full price for everything. Hundreds, if not thousands of dollars well in advance. And God knows when you're going to get it. It's, they have that little paragraph for risks and challenges. Like seriously, read it, take it to heart because very few things are delivered on time ahead of schedule with no issues it is, it's a great medium in a lot of ways, but it is not, it's not just it's not a, pre- a sure shot It's not thing. a pre-order for something that's going to show up in the mail two weeks from now, not by a long Nowhere shot. Nowhere near, and one of the issues I've been hearing is that there's only so many places that manufacture high-scale plastic models, Yeah, and all of these companies are waiting in line, because yeah, there, there's, there's only so many places they can go to do this, and when you've got 20 or 30 of these Kickstarters that all look awesome, yep. and get 10 times their their actual goal... And they're going to produce all these things, but there's, let's say they're company 30 behind the other 29, and the other 29 are already two years behind, and like, really you're fun not going to get that anytime soon. And um, one of the reports that was coming out of Gen Con is that everybody and their grandmother is announcing Kickstarter is going to be coming up later this fall. Like, a huge amount of Kickstarter already commenced. these are already, already established companies that are doing Some of them are. Not necessarily no, no, established no, okay. in the sense of, like, Privateer or GW, but, you know, there are tons of these small... not going to do a Kickstarter ever. <laughs> what what would stop them? Like, there are some companies that they, you know... They have their own production. If they so want a bunch of money... Plidium. Plidium is Robotech. Hmm. So it's like not a, it's not a huge and to be fair, the weird miniatures they did they're through the breach, which is their role playing game, which clogged up a lot of stuff, was also a Kickstarter. And that one was about a year and a, a year late. Yeah, and so if if there's another huge wave of Kickstarters coming up in the next couple of weeks and months, things could potentially get even more backlogged. So I think it's just something definitely to keep in mind. There's a lot of really great systems that are just starting, and this is 
from you know from the developer side, this is really the only way a lot of them can get the capital. But at the same time, from again from a gamer standpoint, you should be very cautious, not pledge huge amounts of money to something from somebody with an unproven track record because it's it's not the same as going yeah, to I the agree. GW Forge World website or whatever. Um, like even you know, if they have a good track record, it's still not going to be on time, most likely. Yeah, oh, I, I guarantee it won't be on time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's the only one that I think was even close to on time was Toughest Girls in the Galaxy, and they were one of the first to the Kickstarter sort of thing, and they're actually yeah. producing miniatures now for large scale consumption and so. Zombicide because I think they almost yeah. exclusively operate out at a Kickstarter. Really, they, they do. They, they do. They do a lot of Kickstarter now. exclusives, and then some of the stuff is not offered separately. But then you know. A couple months later, after the Kickstarter is delivered, you can get a lot of the other stuff. But that's the how they shelf. get every new expansion, is they just kickstart yep. it and get Yeah, they do stressful. like season one, season two, whatever. That's kind of how they label it. But they do a Kickstarter for each major wave. And then some, if not, I'm not sure how much, honestly, but some to most of their product is available separately yep. outside of the Kickstarter. And that's how like the AVP is going to be similar, where some of the units like the Berserker Predator and stuff like that, some of the Cloaked Predators and the Clear Resin. Those are Kickstarter exclusive, but most will be available in um, plastic, similar to like the War Machine Jacks and everything. It'll be in qu- air quotes plastic afterwards. Yeah, yeah, uh, fake resin plastic. Yep. Uh, so I think what I, before you got onto the Kickstarter thing, we were talking about what do you prefer as a rules delivery sort of method and I guess production style. And uh, Dom, what do you think? Well, one thing I didn't get a chance to talk about with Privateer Press um, is they have War Room which is their free app that you'll spend $6 per faction that you play, and they will automatically update that app with all of the new rules that you have for for your faction whenever they come out. And it's almost like a living rule, right? It's so if you, if you yeah, buy that faction, I, I bought the Merc that. deck uh, about a year ago. And, and it's I've not got, a subscription, though. It's 6 bucks and you're done, right? You're done. And yeah. it's, there's the caveat when they release 3rd edition, you'll have to pay, spend another $6 to have this happen all over again. Ooh. Oh, fucking no. Or you could spend $60 <laughs> and, have every and have every deck. I bought everything. Yeah, I got everything. Period. And they will give you every new rule for every faction that comes out until they do a new edition. And because it's Privateer Press, and they, I don't expect another edition for at least another two years. Uh, so it's 60 bucks for, let's say, a four or five year span. The cool thing about that, too, is yeah, that's like, really good. I, I, bought, I bought all the decks, and then when conversions came out, it was an automatic free deck. Yeah, if you Not, get the all of the above option, yeah, if there, anything brand new out of left field comes out, you'll probably be covered there, too. Yep. Which and so, cool. That is cool. they give you a few different means to access the rules quite readily. They leak a lot of the rules ahead of time. Um, they release something for everybody. Like, every year, you know, every faction's going to get something. And so the neat thing about it is that the game doesn't change dramatically. Like, it's not like, oh, shit, what am I going to do about this new guard army book? And you have to learn that. It's like keeping on top of all the new rules is really easy because it's... For War Machine, it's typically between two and four new models or units a year. For Hordes, it's a little bit more because they're catching up. Okay. So uh, what was your favorite? What is your favorite way for Privateer Press? <laughs> That's because they release it And you more think that is, that is the best for the gamer, even though the rules are kind of... Not spread out, but if you don't buy everything, I guess you still always have the option for cheap. Because like all I'm trying to say is the other game systems, some of them are free. Some of them are free, but the, here's the thing. The way that you pay for it for Privateer Press is so inexpensive. And they provide fluff and lots of cool pictures and painting guides in every book they release. Yeah. So, and because they don't change their paint range every six weeks? 
Yeah, so it all stays the same. Recipes will remain accurate. And, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> and like, it's there's a lot of the extras in there, and because of things like War Room, where they automatically update it, so it's like the new yeah. Netflix came out, and it was just like, oh, boom, all the new rules are on my phone. Yeah, that's pretty. I like that. That's that's really cool. I see what you're saying. You, like, not being you free. don't you have, have to put in the for. effort. Yeah, you're feeling like you're getting. Oh, you, you get for. way more than what you paid for. Okay, Mike, what's your favorite? Uh, you know what? Uh, it's it, it was between Hawk and Spartan, but. Hawk is a little slower because he's a newer company. He's not putting quite as many releases out. Where Spartan puts out the right amount of releases for me that I can keep up with and it won't kill me. And I like the way they do the rules. So I'm going to say I like their release rate. Okay. Don't have a big long rant like Tom? No. Okay. I can't <laughs> you cut me off halfway through my rant earlier. I know, so I, I know. Sorry. Dan? Uh, it's really hard to pick a favorite. Um, one of the things that I really like about some of the game systems um, like X-Wing is that with a little bit of a slower product cycle, they're not coming out with $1,000 worth of new stuff every six months yeah. to keep up with. A lot of these games are a little bit easier um, to play simultaneously. So I t- I'm tending to lean towards a lot of those release schedules where it's not something that is going to demand a huge amount of your disposable income every month. So if it's if it's two or three times a year, I'm dropping 150 bucks on X-wing, that's not crazy compared to you know Forge World, which I love dearly. I love the heresy stuff. I buy all the books and you know keep buying Forge World models and painting like one every six months. Mm-hmm. But um, a, lot of, a lot of those other game systems, they GW probably being one of the larger ones, Privateer to to an extent as well. Those games are a lot harder to do while doing ev- like multiple other games. So I kind of like the other ones where you can. Um, again, it's a little bit more manageable. You don't have to spend everything all in one product range to keep up. So, yeah, I quite like the X-Wing model in a lot of ways. It's Yeah, sometimes they preview stuff a little bit too far in advance, but at the end of the day, it comes out at a pace I can keep up with and stay on top of the rules, and there's still quality releases every time. So, can't argue with that for me. Okay, Wardo. Uh, I'm going to go with Mike. I'm going to go with Spartan. Um, I like the fact that you can easily download the PDFs if you don't want to buy rule books. You Free can, is cool. You can, buy those, <laughs> you can buy those rule books if you want something, like Tom said, tangible in your hands. Um, the fact that they do pre-orders for two months in advance, you know exactly what's coming out. You can say you can budget for it. You can. And say, I don't think any of them have really been late, or if it has, no, it's been like a week. No, no I've I've done pre-orders uh, online with them. Never a problem. So cool. it, it shows up typically the week after it was yeah. released because I live in Canada and they it's are not in, in the Canada. UK. So I'm absolutely fine with that. Their their release schedule is good too. Like I said, mm-hmm. two months in advance, absolutely. you know exactly what's coming out. Okay, and myself, you guys probably guess, I want to say 40K and GW stuff because I think they have the flashiest, coolest books. I own Codex Iandum twice, iPad and in hardcover. <laughs> uh, Wait, actually, I think the question is which release style do you like better? That's why I'm going to say, because good God, from the gamer standpoint, GW is just not sustainable. There we go. <laughs> I like the Hawk stuff. Okay. I think Hawk the way that they do, like like Weird, I don't play Weird, but I, I would say lump them in sort of the same category. Well, you know, it's funny though, a lot of the companies really are. Like Spartan's really yeah. similar. The um, only reason weird. I was going to say with Hawk is they do, he's, the, the owner of the company is very much involved with the community and listens to the feedback based on the PDF experimental rules. Right. And you get sort of a feel of like being a beta tester. Like you get a chance, and I, I like that. I come, I worked in the video game world for a while. I like the idea of beta testers and tweaking the rule set to make it work. So that's why I like Hawk. Yeah, that's fair. Now I have a question for you in regards mm. to Hawk. Do you think that is going to stay that way 
long term, or do you think eventually it is? Well, oh, that's trend? a good question. Because if you look at, hmm, I don't know. I know I've talked a lot about Privateer Press, um, but they are a company that at one point did open beta testing. I don't know. I honestly couldn't tell. And you. then when they got large enough. They closed the doors, and now they have a little bit more of that mystery. You know, and the thing mystery. is, is I have no problem with. Uh, so I'll, I'll talk a little bit analogous to a video game, uh, something like a shooter. You would do your QA in house because it's a little smaller, but if it's an MMO like a bigger, you would have an open beta because you just need that level of quality. And I think once you have hot get to the point where it's big enough to employ testers, that isn't just the guy that owns the company. Then yeah, I'm I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that okay. entirely. But I think from an initial standpoint, it shows that his development idea is in the right place. If I could just add on to that, I actually don't think we will notice that because uh, he's he's had his mission statement out that he's said to everybody, "This is what I want to do. This is my goals. This is what I want to keep to." And one of the biggest things is is he wants to make an interact with the community. Okay, and I think once he gets that big, he's going to release the models, and the only difference is going to be is that. The rules have been play tested already for you. Yeah, I don't think the release rate, uh, the release of the rules is going to change when the model comes out. And, I, you and know, the only thing that's going to be different is one is play tested, one hasn't been. And I can see it still being a, like an experimental rule beta, even to the community, yeah. just a more tweaked. Like the Ferrum with its experimental rules was a little broken. Uh, it's the one that keeps coming to mind. Uh, but now it's kind of after it got the official rules, it's like all right, it's pretty okay. good. And I could see them having just a less broken beta test. Yeah. So, overall, um, I look at all the companies we've talked about, and it's really, if we've talked about a specific company, it seems that they do a release, a bunch of smaller releases, over time, where you're getting something for everybody. And Games Workshop's really the only company that's still doing this, releasing this codex in larger chunks. Yeah, for, for a lot of the other um, a lot of their systems, you're getting kind of like a trickle of products relatively steadily <laughs> over the course of a year. <laughs> so yeah, depending yeah. on like regardless of which faction you're playing oh, yeah, you're, getting totally. a, you're getting a little bit of content every once in a while where GW it kind of comes in like you know the waves right where you get a big shotgun blast of like new Space Marine stuff for a couple weeks new Eldar stuff for a few weeks whatever it comes less frequently like if you're only playing one faction, you have longer to wait between product releases. This is me totally speculating, but I'm wondering if their current race to get out the rule set, because I feel like a game that's not a that's not a panic move, I think that might be preparation for a panic move is something that I would see more of that being a thing, where they're trying to get all the rule sets out so they can start doing that release unit for you guys via data slate, release unit for these guys via data slate, so you keep sure. everybody buying. I could see that being something that they would begin doing, because it makes so much sense. Well, it's working for every other company. But I, you know what, I'm going to disagree with you because I, I think the codexes are too much of a money grab for them. I don't think they're going to do the balances <laughs> that you're saying. I honestly think the reason they are doing the same systems is because in the past it has netted them a shitload of money. Yeah. And, and they're just... going to continue doing that until it proves them wrong. And then that's what they're doing right now. They're not sure what's going on and they're trying different things. But I don't know if they'll shift from that. Yeah, and mine was a total guess. Who yeah. knows? I would love to see them do, uh, like... A new tactical marine box, and then you get. They just I, did. I mean, well, no, not a new. Like I'm saying, I'm just saying hypothetically. You're right. They, I didn't even notice that release. Wow, they that's totally too did. Many releases, yeah, that like means. the combi they totally weapons did. and the other stuff. They yeah, because totally they had the grab gun in there. Exactly. Okay, so let's say a jet bike squad release. <laughs> that uh, could never happen. Never they happen. haven't had those done for ten years. I yeah, that'll never happen. But I would love to see that. Like, <laughs> oh, you get that in January, and then in August you get I don't know. Uh, 
new warp spiders. Like, that would be awesome. And yeah. I could see them moving to that because it makes so much sense. But you're right, Mike. I I also yeah. could see them being stupid and sticking with what works uh, yes. in the past. Yeah. And even though the past isn't working anymore. Well, there's, there's still the... They're still making they're money. Still See, no, 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 no. You do get, I think what is happening is they've let this cost, how much they're charging, go up too fast. If they had let it go up a little slower, it would have changed everything, and the dynamic yeah. would still have worked. Well, you can okay. see that right now. I'm seeing. I'm looking at Nagash going, oh, it's 130 That's $10 cheaper than a race night. That's all right. Uh, <laughs> whereas, yeah. I'm, whereas I'm going, that's my entire scum and villainy faction for x Yeah. You know what blew yeah. my mind? The... Cost difference between the Stompa and the uh, Gorkonaut Morkonaut was nothing. What? And the Stompa is like 60% larger. Wait, you mean the single, like not the dual kit that they had, like this bundle where you could get the Gorkonaut and the Morkonaut? Like the Morkonaut is Alone. like the same, almost the same. Is it, I think it's like the same cost as a fucking Stompa. What? Okay, that's insane. That's totally derailing. That's I think, totally derailing. What we're saying is, is that their price progression is what has brought yeah. it down. I think you can tell. Ward? And then uh, the other thing I was going to say was like, I could be looking at this with rose colored glasses, but. Like me always. The release schedule that they had before, I think, worked out a lot better where, like, uh, they used to release black boxes. You could see some models beforehand. Yeah. You knew some rules. You could sample a little yeah. right. well, Especially when you were working for the company. Yeah. Especially when you were working for the company. I have a few black box models in my case over here because I couldn't it? paint them up fast enough. I, I, the fact that they stopped it, I think, has been a hindrance because, again, I, I don't find players right now can budget properly for these releases. They're coming oh, yeah. too hard I too think fast. You get a lot of ways, notice. In a lot of ways, the arg- I think the argument is if you know too far in advance, you, can, you might be holding off on purchases today to make your pro- purchases later. Whereas if you never know what's coming, if you want something, you might just buy it now because you don't know what's coming. It's well, give me two weeks to plan game, a game, game, Gamers, gamers are yeah. used to spontaneous uh, purchases as well, right? Like yeah, if I walk into buys. a GW and they have what I want, I'm gonna I'm gonna buy it. If they don't, well, have that's it, what I was saying. And they say you can buy it online. Uh, no, I'll wait. That I is have, a, that is a conversation for another day. I have it never is. bought anything online that I couldn't buy in a store because I want to pick it up now and I want to paint it today. I want that instant gratification. I'm that yeah. guy. Yeah. Right? No, so. absolutely. Okay, that's a total different conversation. Yes. And I think yes, we've also beaten this to death. Uh, pretty uh-huh. much. I think just in summary that, um, much like Dan was saying, it's really nice to be able to manage these games that have the, the trickle and flow. Is That's probably the... <laughs> <laughs> I'll show you my trickle and flow. It's, as a guy that plays lots of games, I find that a lot easier to deal with. I and feel like this is like a prostate health episode or something. <laughs> Go to the doctor. Can you maintain oh, a solid flow? <laughs> I am not coughing for you. <laughs> I don't need you to cough. Are we talking about the undead still? What are you, why maybe, are you keep saying this? Maybe that's what killed them. They all died of prostate <laughs> cancer. Uh, no, I, yeah, sure, you know what, let's go with that. Cetra, or Nagash's spell, prostate cancer for everyone. It was just a really fast acting The wind of undeath. Cancer. Oh my god. The wind? Uh, it's like a giant weird fart joke. Yeah. It's kind of in that same region. I kind of went more for like a urethra fart at that Okay, point. so we had a nice, we had a nice conversation about, uh, GW pricing and it went right into fart jokes, so I think we should probably end the episode there. Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's basically a wrap. Uh, are there any events coming up? Uh, well, we're going to talk about that probably. in the next episode with the new tournament season. Oh, probably. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll talk about that next time. Until then, uh, this has been another episode of Hobbit in Canada. I'm Tom. Mike. Dan. Ward. Steve. And paint your fucking models. Mm-hmm.